You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, November the 11th. Where do I come from today? I come from the press room at Cheltenham as the home of steeplechasing here in the UK takes it up a notch for its November meeting. It's Paddy Power Fixture. Lydia Hislop is with me today. And whenever we're broadcasting live, well, as live on a Friday, there is Neil Phillips with his trusty bottle opener and a bottle of claret for 10.30 in the morning, Lydia. So welcome to Cheltenham. Seems entirely reasonable to me. Well, me too. Um, we'll be having a chat with Neil in a few moments' time. Um, I think it's only right that we should celebrate being back here. I wasn't able to be here at the, the showcase meeting in October, and I think this is right. This is where it, all, the games really begin. Very much so. Um, we've had some significant runners already this season. I think, obviously, we've had Weatherby, we've had Ascot, we've had here the showcase meeting. But this, is, I think, is where it ratchets up again. And we've got a significant Irish contingent coming over, which is always very, very welcome, and it's going to be really good sport. Okay, shall we launch straight into it and have a word about this weekend's feature race, the Paddy Power Handicap Chase tomorrow? It's been a race run under a number of different names, but it is the, the, the marquee race of this fixture and has been for, for many decades now. Um, how do you see this year's, this year's running? Do you see it as a, a strong one, a winnable one, an intriguing one, a tight one, a weak one? I think it's a competitive one. Um, I, I heard Maddie saying that she didn't think it was as, as strong as recent years. I don't know. I, I don't like prejudging a race. Um, I think there's some interesting horses. Happy Go Lucky, who loves the track, coming back after 581 days. That's got to be of interest. We, obviously, we heard from David Maxwell earlier in the week, and he'll be on Simply the Best, so we'll have a, a proper chance that, of course, he goes well in. Mr. Fisher dropping down in grade is interesting. Paul Nichols with Il Ridotto, that horse that really sparked everybody's interest with that win as a four-year-old at Newbury last season and then he was quite highly tried and things didn't really go on I wonder about the course for him the horse I'm most interested in is Galor I thought that return in the old Rhone behind Riders on the Storm and Hitman was a strong performance particularly as he was coming off more than 600 days off the track he's got some really good novice form I think he's unexposed as a chaser and I think he's on a reasonable mark okay let's hear from the trainer of a horse who has been off the track now for 581 days happy-go-lucky is trained by Kim Bailey I put a call into him earlier and this is what he had to say about the horse's chance well they're very much so I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased with the way he's um, taken his break and come back he seems in a really good place at the moment but also you've got to remember that horses off his racing it's very hard to find races for him to run in um, and um, so you know he's ready to go um, my only concern is that it's, it's the ground and obviously I'll be poking my nose at that tomorrow morning because um, and he's having had a year off um, I don't need to be taking a chance on, 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 on ground and I don't feel it's right for the horse I mean, what what do you think are his ideal conditions? What does he really want? Good to soft, probably good soft jumping ground. It's absolutely ideal. Okay, he's he's one of those horses that will at the moment go down in the old heartbreakers tray because he got so close to winning a race at the uh, the Cheltenham Festival. It was rather your misfortune to run into Vintage Clouds when Vintage Clouds was running like the the, the wind was up his tail. Um, do you think he will be better back at this intermediate distance? Well, uh, he he's always been a strong traveller. Um, he 
probably find that that dirt shot and the the, the the hill just probably just find him out because he looked like he was going to win two from home. So dropping back in trip is not necessarily the end of the world. It's probably not ideal, but uh, um, you know, for his first run, um, he not run for a while. He will be very fresh and he'll be, be quite keen to get on with it. So I, I, you know, and the way David Bass rides him, he'll be, he won't get much chance to think about him. <laughs> is that the way he needs to be ridden? Probably not, but that's the way he will be ridden because at the end of it, there's no point hanging onto his head over over a shorter trip. So um, let him enjoy himself, and 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 and, and David likes to be up there anyway. So um, the combination, I hope, will work very well. And I mean, you you often joke about it, and you pull his leg, but you obviously feel it works most of the time. Otherwise, you wouldn't have had such an enduring partnership. Well, you can come up with lots of reasons why we're still together, and probably his riding ability is not one of them. But um, um, no, <laughs> joking apart, I, I have total faith in his ability to do what is what's right for the horses when they go on the race course. You're very, you're very cruel to him. Uh, not at all. He's very cruel to me as well. So uh, we, we work very well together, which is great. If you can't have a bit of a banter together, life is not worth having. And how long have you had this horse back in? I mean, have you got him? Have you got him right on? 100 percent to run a, to run a big race in a race like this i, I certainly got him right to, to run a very big race it, he, he, whatever happens he's bound to improve because at the end of it it's very hard to get without you know doing loads of race course gallops which is very difficult to find it's very difficult for a horse to come back after that length of time to to run a race as competitive as this to be 100 percent right but uh, you know I, I generally don't believe he'll disgrace us um, you've got Imperial Aura coming back next weekend at Haydock. I was reading the other day a little piece, and you said I, I'm really looking forward to this horse, and yet he's got a he's got a pretty checkered checkered recent history. What makes you think you can get him to where to where he needs to be to be performing at the top level again? Well, he's always he's always shown at home that he's got so much ability, um, and he had a really difficult season last year. He was travelling very well in the in the chase at Haydock, and then fell. Um, and then we went to Aintree, where the ground conditions were horrendous, and in hindsight, he probably shouldn't have run. Um, and he, he he's had loads of issues and problems. Um, and uh, He's had a back operation since last season. It seems to, we won't know until he runs, but it seems to work. But we're running back over hurdles um, as, a, as a prep ready before game chasing. I want the horse to, to, to enjoy his racing again. But certainly the way we've seen him working at home, um, the enjoyment is still there, but it has to be done on the racetrack. And Kim, I, I noticed in the Sefton last week at Aintree, uh, two for gold, another a very popular horse, ran a, I thought, a pretty solid race. Was that, was that a precursor to anything in particular? Well, his ultimate aim is the race he won at, at Lingfield last year in, in January, um, and uh, you know that's where we aim for. He wants soft ground. The ground, the ground was definitely quick enough for uh, he can go on good ground, but they just go too quick over two mile five round him for him. So I, you know, I was happy, but it was not ideal conditions. But you know, at the end of it, the horse is, is limited to where he can go, um, and we are sort of like working backwards from Lingfield. And that's obviously his number one target. The race he won last year. Yeah, I, I always think there aren't that many horses who want like what I'd call filthy winter ground, but he's definitely one of them. Yeah, no, but he does go on good ground as well. So, you know, he's, he's very versatile. Um, but uh, at the end of it, he's he's probably not quick enough for a two-mile two five ground on a sharp track like Entry when they go absolutely flash out in a race like that. So, uh, you know, the poor old boy, it's hard for him, but he, he didn't disgrace himself. I still call this early in the season. Are you are you relatively buoyed? Do you feel, do you feel in optimistic mood? Very much so. I've got, I've got a really nice bunch of horses to come out. Um, you know, the horses have been running very well at the moment. We haven't done much summer racing. Um, our season's beginning to get going. Give us a bit more rain. We'll, we'll, we'll be very busy, and um, I'm much looking forward to it. Yeah, good luck tomorrow. That would be that would be quite something to pull off, Kim.
Well, I'd be delighted if we do. Um, and you can have a drink with me afterwards. Be very happy to. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Nick. That was Kim Bailey, trainer of Happy Go Lucky. He's also got some pretty interesting runners on Sunday. Um, Lydia's still alongside me. He, he did raise an interesting point about the ground, Lydia, and the received wisdom seems to be that it could get quite lively by tomorrow. It's, it's grey here at Cheltenham at the moment, but it's about 16 degrees. It's really weird weather. It could get up to 20 tomorrow. It's really weird weather. I, mean, I think, wasn't it something ridiculous like 18 overnight in Edinburgh last night? So, you know, normally it would be around about three degrees at that time. So it's just extraordinary. It's very, very weird weather, unseasonable weather. Um, climate change, we would say. Uh, Julia Hartley Brewer, look her up if you don't know who I mean, would just say it's weather. It's weather. It's just weather. She'd tell you that in 1968 there was a temperature of 17 degrees in Northumberland or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that and when, you know, when the previous ice age came, but, uh, you know. I missed your COP27 speech. <laughs> <laughs> I was told I couldn't go by the, by the government. Neil Phillips, the, the wine tipster, um, was, was going to talk sustainability today. So it seems that that link is, is almost seamless and that we planned it, Neil. Exactly. You know, well rehearsed here, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. But here we are going to talk about sustainability and it's a big, big theme for the race course now. And so when everybody goes around the race course, there's lots of examples of sustainability here. Also, we've got our new wine list out today for the November meeting here. So we've got 50 wines on the list. But one of the pieces we're doing here is actually linking back and we will have a QR code to be able to link back to the producer Producers, those with really strong, strong, sustainable messages as well. And on the list as well, we're denoting which wines are vegan friendly, which wines are organic. All these pieces are really important, you know? I, I actually need you to explain a little bit about sustainability in wine and what you mean. And we're talking about being environmentally sound. Um, how, how does one form of wine production differ from another in that respect? Well, I think there's a lot of different nuances here with sustainability here, but one of the things is talking about just in terms of lower bottle weights, for example, pieces like that, Nick, because that is one of the things that people have talked about, wine bottles being too heavy, so lower obviously in terms of transportation, and some journalists now will only taste wines if they know it's a, it's a lighter bottle, for example, so moving in that sort of direction. That is what we're doing. And oh, because it basically reduces the, the emissions yeah, when you're transporting. Yes, yes, exactly. So that is what everybody is focused on. And you're just having more and more of this. And we made it very clear with the new list, what we wanted to do was work with certain producers who are very strong on sustainability and have that very strong message. And that's the key thing about the QR code. So guests can link through that to that to their websites and see those messages. All right, what, really... well, I'll let you pour this. Well, you tell me what it is, first of all. Right, this is, we're heading off to Argentina here. This is Susanna Balbo, and this is her Malbec. And I wanted to talk about her as well, because another theme, which I was talking to Lydia about before we came on, first female winemaker in Argentina. She's got such a brilliant reputation. She's not only domestically, but internationally as well. And as I pour out her Creos Malbec 2021, the very, very deep, enticing dark color here. Mm. Lydia's nodding here, looking really anticipating tasting this one. <laughs> uh, but they have very strong sustainability credentials as well. So we have this here. So Thanks it's so great to have Susanna Barbo on the list here. Her wines have got a great reputation. I wanted to show this Malbec because some of us are used to the fact that Malbec's big, powerful, a bit unrelenting sometimes. And I think it's got many more nuances than that. And this is a wine that has got all of that for me. And it smells absolutely fantastic. So this is the Susanna Balba Creos 2021. Yes. Is that the colour of blackberry? Yeah, it's it lovely, yeah. 
What when you, you go in here, you've got rich, dark fruits, okay? Blackberries, it's very... Cherries. Uh, cherries. Come on, Lydia, keep going. Violets. We're, we're gonna, this is going to be on as well, Yeah, I'm just, I'm just reading it off the menu. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you disappointed me there. I was just... I should have got caught out of that one. Um, but when you do that, but it's also got some oak as well. Yeah. But I've, what I like here is the balance and the freshness of this one, which is lovely. That is very, very nice indeed. I mean, it does seem ridiculous drinking red wine at this time, but it's very nice. You know, it's, it, whereas it's fine to have mm. champagne at this time, obviously, I think everyone mm. would agree with that. Red wine just feels like a step too far. Nonetheless, I'll make an exception. You'd make you. an exception. I, I wondered, given what Neil was saying, whether we'd, we'd start breeding you know, horses sub 550 kilograms <laughs> mandatory so that we were transporting less weight around the country. Well, I mean, it's a whole different topic, that, isn't it? I was, when you were um, talking with um, Emma about uh, all the mares coming from around the world to, to be covered by stallions in various parts of Europe, I mean, you know, I, I hate to explode the bomb on a podcast, but it's, we've got to start thinking about AI, haven't we? Uh -uh. Well, we've, we've talked about it a little bit before. We've, we've sort of nosed in there on this, on this podcast once or twice. Um, and and I, I suspect that is a conversation that's going to have to be had. I think you ha you'd have to. I mean, not, not just for um, climate change reasons, having all of these uh, mares moving around the world uh, unnecessarily, but necessarily under the current rules. Foals at foot as well. I mean, and the whole sort of welfare element of it as well. I mean, are we entirely comfortable with that? Is that the best thing to do? I mean, clearly it would need strict regulation, but it is regulated in other equine um, mm -hmm. exploits in other countries. And I don't think it's beyond the wit of man to be able to do it. And I think the artificial in, um, insemination conversation is, has got to be had, uh, just in case anyone thought it was artificial intelligence. <laughs> None of that here, <laughs> in, yes. I, in either letter. Uh, I was listening to another podcast this week where it, it was considered that one of the few things that Britain is still good at is uh, artificial intelligence. It's not yet good at artificial insemination of horses. <laughs> well, <laughs> or, we, it, we... or it might be, but it... <laughs> It's not very good at executing it in this particular discipline. No, we, and the reason has been, um, you know, concern about proliferation, you know, over um, emphasis on one particular bloodline, one particular stallion. As I say, it's not beyond the wit of man to be able to curb that, and I think that would be a, a useful exercise anyway, even with the, the existing... I mean, it used to be that, that stallions had much smaller books. You know, we need to have all of those conversations, I think, and it, it's inevitable, so we may as well start having them now. Well, it's interesting. It's the second time on, on this year on this podcast that's been brought up and the first time was by Sam Bullard from Dali right. and, and I'm not he wasn't going the whole hog but he said the conversation needs to be had yeah I think it, it, I mean it is inevitable it's a bit like um, whether it will become morally acceptable even if racecourses have their own res reservoir to use that water to keep turf raceable as opposed to allowing people to have a bath um, so you know what does what does racing look like in 10 and 20 years time it's absurd to stick your um, head in the sand you know both of those it, these massive industries need to start thinking about that I not really want to talk about my carbon footprint at the moment am I no <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that I was thinking I've got, I've got to do quite the a heat few, was just rising up my face. <laughs> I've got to do a few trips to Ireland, and uh, I was thinking to myself this morning, "Well, it's not as bad as Nick, is it?" <laughs> the, the ferry, the ferry's very good, I'm told. <laughs> the very, the, very. Mind you, mind you, the ferry's carbon footprint can't be great. No, right? I know, but at least there's lots of. Uh, lo I mean, but then you know, it's it's encouraging you to use your car at either end as well. So at least I'm not doing that. Exactly, your electric car onto a hydrofoil and out the other end. That's what you really want to be doing. Yeah, yeah. That sounds seamless. Okay.
Okay, exactly. Are you enjoying that red I am, wine? I am enjoying this red wine. It's lovely, Neil. Thank you very much. Good. Well, you, fifty pounds, I see, if you yeah. want to buy it for the yes. race course. Yeah, and I think that's this is a really high quality wine. But it's great to be able to say, look, we're doing all sustainability work, and it's just more communication on wineless as well, because people want more communication about the dishes they're having. So we've got that with the organic wines, the vegan yeah. wines. The one thing I don't want is calories on the list. <laughs> I've got it on the menu. You yeah, don't want calories. Yeah, I don't want calories on the menu, and I don't want. <clears throat> certainly don't want to know but how many the, calories there are in a glass of this. No, um, no. Uh, we haven't. Here, we it, we haven't. No, and I think. It's, is that coming in? No, well, it probably would in time. But I think the thing is here. It's actually somebody who turns up and says, mm. "I want to. I'm having a vegan menu. I'm having a vegetarian menu." They want to know what kind of wine they can actually drink. I want to hear now from another um, well-known calorie counter because Dan Skelton has got uh, several runners this weekend. At Cheltenham, and uh, I, <laughs> I spoke to him earlier, and I began. Um, shall I edit that bit out? No, I'll leave it in. Um, I, began, I began by asking him which, which horse this weekend was giving him most anxiety that he was thinking about most that was giving him the most sleepless nights. Uh, definitely New Benegra. And tell me why. Uh, it's just very important when you get your conditions like this to make it make it count you know there's um i feel like midnight river in the paddy power the ground could be slower for him and i'm not saying that that automatically enhances his chances but i think it on what i know at the moment about the horse that would be a little more helpful um but nuba negra wants the ground as good as possible he's good around the track it's worth a lot of money it's a grade two it's a big event for him um and sometimes you know when you've got a horse like him that needs to be fresh when the race turns up, like it did at the Champion Chase last year, heavy and you're at your best, but you can't, you know, you've no chance on the ground. It can be, you know, very disappointing and, you know, it can feel like there's been a lot of work for nothing. But all of a sudden, when you're in a position like this and everything's coming together, it's it, it can feel a lot, <laughs> a lot better. And, and you're up against a horse who's coming out of his novice season in Edwardstone as well. So you've got that fascinating unknown between, between the, the horse that you know is proven in senior grade and the novice you think well how is he going to get on against the horses who've been doing it for a couple of years how do you read their relative form um i read it uh well we've got to give him four pounds for a start because obviously he achieved his class one wins in novices and you, the, the races are framed so that novices carry a half penalty so we've got to give him four pounds so that's you know we're on the back foot a little bit at the start but um, I think the level that Noob Negra can achieve on good ground is very, very high. And, you know, we've beaten Politolog, we've beaten Altior when our conditions have been correct. We've been second in the champion chase. Um, that is very high form. How does that equate to an Arkle? I'll leave that with people with more diagnosis skills than me. Um, but... I, I, I think there is not a lot between them at this point. Well, well, well you've, you've, got an, you've got an idea because you saw, you saw Edward Stone's back with third time lucky a couple of times last year. Yeah, I, I would say, like, I would say at the moment, um, on the ground especially, I would favour Nuba Negra. Um, but I'm going to say that. And I'm sure King would say, well, actually, I favour Edward Stone. Um, but I, I, I would favour, on the ground, I would favour Nuba Negra. But, you know, what's the point in me? thinking I'd favour Edward Stone, I, you know, I wouldn't. Um, but I'm very happy with his preparation. A few of ours have been needing the run, um, but, you know, he shouldn't be one of those because he's an older horse. He's a horse that's had a, a, 
you know, designed targets since he came in from the start of the year. A little bit, little bit like Molly Ollie's wishes, a little bit like Prashim. You know, they've had specific targets that we've been able to prep them for rather than the novices just, you know, putting your hat in the ring and seeing where you stand. These have had proper objectives and um, he's been away to the grass gallop a couple of times. He looks like he looks fantastic. Um, and I, I'm just very much looking forward to the conditions being in his favour and seeing seeing where we stand against Edward Stone. He's, you know, taking an awful winner, course distance, he's done it all the same as we have. So it's 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 gonna be hard. What about West Cork? Do the same comments apply to him? Presumably, he's had this marked as a, a, a as his as his target. I'm actually going to leave him. Um, I'm going to leave him. I'm going to go. I'm going to run him over fences again once more. Are you okay? So, what's the thinking there? Well, he jumped. He jumped acceptably against Stage Star. Um, I, I think I'd leave it as leave it at acceptably. Um, I'm not sure he stayed the two and a half, especially from the back of the last. I think we got outstayed by Stage Star. I'd just try one ball go at two miles and see see where we are. Um, if it doesn't work, then we are going back hurdling. Uh, I left him in this race just in case we had a change of heart midway through the week. Um, but that's not the case. We are going to stick to having one more go over fences uh, and then make a plan from there. And OK, what of Midnight River in tomorrow's Paddy Power then? Uh, do you think he's a horse handicapped to win a race like this, notwithstanding the ground? Yes. That's all we need to know. And as 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 far as the as far as the other runners are concerned this weekend, who are you most looking forward to? Um, obviously, the ground is a little bit. Uh, the ground's going to suit some, not going to suit the others. I think it's a big task. But Father of Jazz makes his debut in a Grade Two on Sunday, off the flat, first run over hurdles. But the ground suits him. Um, and then we've got, I think, old Paddy Roan Canoe's got a fair chance, but maybe it could be a little softer to be at his absolute best for him. So it's a little bit up in the air, um, sort of where your best chances lie because of the ground. But I mean, all things, all things said, I think we've we've spoken the most about the one who was suited best by the conditions, and that's Newman Egbert. Dan Skelton. I do enjoy um, talking to Dan Skelton because you know you're going to get it pretty unvarnished. And, I, and it was really significant to me, Lydia, that he spent so much of that interview talking about Newby Negra. This is obviously a, a day that he's given a lot of thought to. He said, and he made a good point. You know, when conditions are in your favour, that's when you've got to strike. You've got to know when that's likely. And it feels with good ground, the horse's slick jumping and sort of speedy demeanour is likely to serve him pretty well against Edward Stone. Yeah, and I, I think he is a, a very good horse. He was um, comparatively held by some of the, the key horses of last season. Um, he started off very well by winning the Schler. He went on to be to be beaten by Greenestine a couple of times. Obviously, he didn't turn up in the Queen Mother Champion chase because of that deluge that fell on, on watered ground. But he still delivered a very high level of form. He is a slick jumper. He's up against Edward Stone, who uh, won five chases. I think it was five. Uh, last season, culminating in the Arkle, and then he probably was wasn't too far off his best. I think he was a little, you know, two or three pounds below, but not too far off his best when beaten by Gentleman Demi at Aintree at the end of last season. Um, he uh, will. Alan King, his trainer, says he'll be using this race to decide whether to stick at the two miles or go up in trip. So I think, from Alan King's perspective, the fact that Nubin Eber is is ready to go, this is a, a very good race to start Edward Stone off in and to be able to sort of uh, d- decide what to do for the rest of the season. Um, interesting what happens with Editor Dujit because obviously he is also entered in the Paddy Power Gold Cup you're going to be wanting a pace here really and you'd have hoped that he would have been running in it to be able to help provide it mm. and he will change the complexion of the race completely mm. if he runs outside that 
What are we most looking forward to this weekend? The race I am very much most looking forward to is the 145 on Saturday at Cheltenham, the From the Horse's Mouth podcast Arkle Challenge Trophy. It's a trial, a grade two. It features Banbridge, who won the Martin Pipe last season for Joseph O'Brien. He's made a really fluent start over fences. It was a really good win at Gorham Park. Uh, he went out in front, but he did. It wasn't unchallenged. At times, he was pestered and pressed. He was... He jumped like a seasoned handicapper. He looked very, very good indeed. But he's up against some, you know, very, very interesting horses. We've got the former Triumph Hurdle winner, who obviously walked over controversially at, uh, at Huntingdon on his Chase debut in Verticomers. He was right up to his best on the flat when coming back from a very long layoff at Haydock the previous time. We've also got Tommy's Oscar. Now that's the horse that, for two seasons, two previous two seasons over hurdles, has progressed relentlessly for Anne and Ian Hamilton. So much so that they ran him in the Champion Hurdle. He finished ninth last season. He's made a very, very good transition to fences he ran at Carlisle he was up against a 10 times runner five times winner who controlled the race he was also Danny McMenamin was riding he was also up against Brian Hughes you know riding with all the guile that Brian Hughes had when he felt that Tommy's Oscar was was getting on top Mm. of his mount he was just getting in the way quite a lot Um, you know the right side just about the right side of the rules but you know just just making it difficult Tommy's Oscar still managed to get up I'm not entirely sure whether he wants a flat track ideally particularly as he goes up in grade but he's interesting and then of course is Monmira, who two seasons ago was uh, the top four-year-old for Paul Nichols. He had a difficult second album, um, but that's often the case when a, a four-year-old herder goes into, into the big league. And also he was quite a big horse, a chasing horse. Again, I wonder whether flat tracks might be his bag because he's got a really round action, but nonetheless, I expect it. He, he reminds me a lot of Clandis Oboe, and he was a better hurdler, junior juvenile hurdler than Clandis Oboe. Oh. I think he's going to really make his mark over fences. Okay, for Paul Nichols, who could have a, a, a big weekend here at Cheltenham and he started off the season so well as we discussed earlier in the week I'm intrigued by today's novice hurdle mainly because I've got not a clue who's going to win it and Nichols is represented there as well by Hermes Allen a very expensive recruit from France Willie Mullins has got a rare early yes. shot at, uh, at the Paddy Power meeting with Hugh Briscoe he does, yes, for um, Susanna and Rich Ritchie, a horse that won at Galway earlier on by wide margin um, and then was beaten by Champ Keeley. Uh, he's got quite a lot of experience over hurdles uh, already, uh, but this is wide open. Like you, I'm just scratching my head at this. So this is the kind of race that this meeting is for, though, where you have a lot of horses who've got a good level of form and they're going to be about to hopefully upgrade it and you'll be able to see a horse that can actually go on and take part in the absolutely very top class races over the rest of the season kind of it's a launch meeting this but it often is incredibly relevant for the festival itself stepping away from here and to to matters flat and to the derby and the traditional entry system of the derby whereby you enter horses as yearlings has gone as of 2024 we discussed this a little bit as well but it had come off my radar but we're still on yours pete scargill's written a bit about it on page 10 of today's racing post if you still get the the paper edition you have to balance up here whether you're going to take a lot of entries at a very young age or fewer entries at an older age but make that more costly if you see what I mean mm. and the balance is you can have a bit of a punt at a smaller price when the horses are younger and you don't know what they're going to be but it's more of a, a, a known investment when the horse is a little bit older and you have a better grasp of what the ability might be so that means that the first entry for three-year-olds is in fe- for uh, the derby will be February 24 
um, and then the second entry April 24 and it means that you're that the total stakes uh, required are going to be more at that stage than they would have been if you've had a larger number of horses entered earlier uh, it makes it, sense it, it does make sense I mean it, it was done during Covid year out of necessity and it did seem to work very well and these days if you look at someone like Charlie Appleby for example he he doesn't he doesn't yeah. actually enter early. Well, Nations Pride was a supplement this year, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. He, he, it's, it's been a very notable change. It was, it's side Ben Saroul would enter early, but uh, Charlie Appleby, I don't know whether it's always been the case, but it's certainly very notable since he's had a large number of very good horses that in recent seasons he he decides to, to utilise supplementary entries or second entries or things like that when he has more of an idea of what his okay. horses are rather than block entering like someone like, say, Aidan O'Brien would. No geldings, though, still. Still no geldings, no. no That's never. the way I like it. Never. <laughs> All right. Not on my watch. OK, we're going to turn our attentions away from Cheltenham just momentarily because we are building, as we have been on the podcast, towards this extraordinary scepter session of the Tattersall's Mayor's Sale, uh, which takes place November 28th to December the 1st. I'm really pleased to check in with Bill Dwan from the Castlebridge consignment. Just get this, 83 lots catalogued for the December Mayor's sale, and 16 of those are in this elite uh, couple of Scepter sessions, seven on Monday evening, nine on Tuesday evening. First of all, Bill, how on earth how on earth do you get your head around 83 lots to be consigned in a, in a sale like this? Uh, Nick, yes, it's an exciting week and perhaps a daunting week. Um, we're lucky we have a, a good team and a good structure. We're used to this kind of numbers. So uh, while, while it sounds a lot, maybe to other people, we're, we're well used to it and well practiced at, at dealing with these kind of numbers. When you started in this business, was it was it always your intention to be to be big, to be a to be a, a, a large consignment to to sort of really try and corner a certain part of the market, or is that just the way it evolved over time? It kind of evolved that way, Nick. Uh, in many ways, when I started, I hadn't a, I hadn't a, a business plan, so to speak, um, and it just snowballed. Really, um, a lot of support from friends and and uh, colleagues that I probably grew up with and worked with along the way, and uh, it, it, it's more evolved into to uh, the machine that it is now than than by design. To be perfectly honest, what what is the secret to doing your job well? Do you think? Look, I think we're, we're there both for the purchaser and the vendor. We, we try and advise the vendor or the owner of the, the, the mayors in this case as to what reserve to put on them and, and where to pitch them in in, in the market. And uh, with the purchasers, we're, we're very much up front and, and try and again guide them as to what mayor might suit them and at what price range it, uh, it might suit their budget. So I think we work try to work well with both uh, purchaser um, and vendor and uh, thankfully uh, it's this uh, this has worked well for us so would you say it's as much about expectation management as it is about animal husbandry it is i mean we're well used to um, we're well used to the market at this stage where we're, we literally sell at every sale now so we have a we have a i would hope we have an understanding of uh, what the market requires and we have some idea on valuations obviously when you get into the, the kind of high-profile um, mares that we're selling in the scepter section, um, anything is possible, you know, when, when people lock on to, uh, to the, the big stock, which, which thankfully we have some of, um, who knows where it ends. 
So this is an interesting one. I, I want to ask from your perspective, given that the this new exercise, you, the two scepter sessions, very much branded as the elite mayors, and we've heard of some of these huge names going through the through the ring and uh, headlined by alcohol free and, and the Paddy Toomey's mayors who we talked about last week, La Petite Coco and and so on, Pearls Galore and loads of other Group One winners. Do you think it has an effect where? them all being clustered together they rub off on one another and it and it it then will add that little bit of value to the mares that you're putting in there yeah i've generally found nick in the past that when a a market is good or a market is strong or, or when a when a, a sale is strong that that basically there's a <clears throat> excuse me there's a knock-on effect or there's a you know people get brought along with the with the rising tide and i feel this catalogue certainly um, in, in Newmarket is an exceptional catalogue with obviously the headline acts, but there's a lot of very good mayors underneath that. And people turn up to see the best being sold and hopefully buy the best. And, and I think it's of, to everyone's benefit as sellers um, is when you, the stronger the catalogue, the stronger the market is my, my uh, opinion on it. And, and hopefully that, that uh, comes to pass. Okay, let, let's talk about some of the, the the key lots from your your draft. I'm looking at the a list of them here: Maria Branwell, the National Stakes winner, and Queen Mary uh, third, Etoile in fold to Wooden Bassett, Lady Hayes placed in the in the Lancashire Oaks in fold to Frankel, Tranquil Lady, half sister to to State of Rest, Monista, uh, Group Two winning sprinter, and Sea Silk Road, uh, second in the Ribblesdale. That is a a very interesting and diverse and quality bunch of bunch of mares there. Who do you have the highest hopes for? I suppose of, of the pregnant mares, we're very lucky in that um, we have some mares, some group and listed uh, placed and winning mares in fall to the elite stallions. And when I say the elite stallions, I mean the likes of uh, mares in fall to Wooden Bassett, Sayuni, obviously Frankel as well. So, you know, mares in fall to those stallions. Uh, automatically attract uh, huge attention and and then many we're lucky many of the ones that we have in fall to those stallions are in fall to as i said the, the elite stallions which uh, which gives them an added value or added appeal so um i think the world the worldwide market will be after those certainly those pregnant bears in fall to as i said the likes of the sayunis the, the wooden bassets the frankels no name ever obviously is another one that's had a huge year, so um, yeah, those those pregnant mares are will be much sought after. Of the fillies, uh, you know, there's a lot of very very exciting fillies there. I think Tranquil Lady was a a recent Group Three winner again. Um, is a half sister to State of Rest, and she has huge racing appeal for next year. In fact, Joseph has a very international campaign planned for her, so she's very exciting. As you mentioned, Munista is a a group two winning sprinter uh, she'd be she'd be much sought after as is Seisai another one of Joseph's fillies who is a, a listed winner and group plays filly so I mean we're lucky the list the list is endless in fact Pennine Hills who's a stakes winner runs in a group race today so we're we're, uh, we're still chasing updates this late in the day I suspect you'll be chasing updates right until the 11th hour, Bill. Thanks so much for talking to me. It's been it's been most illuminating and very best of luck with all of them. Well, thank you very much, Nick. Take care. All right. Thanks to Bill and thanks to Kim Bailey and Dan Skelton earlier in the show. And thanks to the wine tips to the um, Susanna, what's she called? Balbo. Oh, yes, that's right. Well done. Susanna. Oh, no, I can barely read. Oh, no, you're right. It's right. Balbo, it's on the yeah, bottle, correct, yeah. Correct, well done. Susanna Balbo. 
Um, Krios, Malbec, very nice. Um, Lydia, mm. have you got some advice for everybody today? I do. Um, I'm going to the four o'clock, which is the last race today, Friday at Cheltenham. And oh, is I'm there a cheeky one here? Alto Alto for Chris Gordon. Ah. Uh, I thought it was a really good second on, on seasonal debut. He ran against a race fit rival. The two of them finished clear. He's got some good form behind Napa's Hill and also some of his maiden hurdle form is pretty strong. The stables in form, the dropping trip shouldn't be an issue and four pound up from last time. I think he's still well handicapped. That gives you a chance to interview Chris Gordon as well. Uh, well which is always fun. Yeah. I do enjoy interviewing Chris Gordon. The sort of man that radio stations invented the seven second delay for. Well, I, I was going to say, on the Mick Easterby scale, he probably reg- registers about a seven. Yeah. Good stuff. Good luck to Chris Gordon. Good luck to you. Thanks to Lydia. We will see you again on Monday. Don't forget, Saturday edition will be here from nine o'clock tonight. It'll be a good one as well because it'll be compiling all the interviews we've done ahead of tomorrow's Paddy Power Gold Cup and Sunday's Great Wood Hurdle. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.